Micro Payments Radio. My name is Megan Johnson, your host. And today we have a very special episode focusing on the past, present, and future of payments, chatting with the pros. I'm really fortunate today to be joined by Simon Black, CEO of PPRO, and Claire Gates, Chief Commercial Officer of PPRO, both based in London. Um, welcome, Simon and Claire. Thank you. Thanks very much. Pleased to be with you. Great. Um, so, Claire, um, can you tell us a bit about uh, who you are, how long you've been in the payments industry, and a bit more about your role at PPRO? Absolutely. So, I'm, um, as you said, I'm Claire Gates. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer at PPRO. I have been in payments for over uh, 25 years, um, working in um, a number of um, various roles and um, across internationally as well. Cool. And, and Simon, what, what's your background? Yes, so I'm based in London in the UK. My early career uh, was mostly in the US in management consulting, mm-hmm. um, and then moved into the software space and, and into payments in uh, 2007. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, two veterans of of the payment space. So, I mean, Claire, from your perspective, how has the payments landscape changed in the last five years and what does that mean for the future? Yeah, the the, the payment space, it's evolved and continues to evolve in such a significant way. And a lot of it, from my perspective, is driven by the way consumers um, want to pay and how they interact with you know different payment methods in many ways so as as you know irrespective of covid although that has helped to um expedite the way that we acquire and purchase goods and services um many consumers and the type of consumers have changed their purchasing behavior or what they want to use so from when my age you know using a credit and a debit card was so prevalent in whether it was online or offline. Um, whereas when you think about the more younger generation, anyone between the, I suppose, the ages of 35 or, or, or younger, have not, their, their connection to a credit or debit card is not like it used to be. And um, because there's such alternative ways to, for people to pay. Um, and technology has also helped that become more accessible and, and um, also um, more fluid to be able to use. You know, not what you don't need to pull out any any products out of your actual something so simple out of your wallet or your purse. Um, you can just tap and have that capability to purchase um, something using uh, stored credit in your actual mobile phone. And so, as a consequence of how easy it is, that's really changed and put pressure on um, companies that are either offering various types of payments or um, companies who are accepting payments to have to really think through um, their their proposition in order to be able to attract um, a customer. And another thing from my perspective is consumers really are borderless nowadays with um, the advancement and development of transportation and the way packages are sent and how they're distributed on actual um, real goods. And the fact that we're absorbing um, and um, using digital products that come globally, consumers are no, it's no longer relevant where a particular product is, um, is sold. What's important is how the consumer wants to pay for something in the markets that they reside in. 
Yeah, and, and, and Simon, anything to add? Well, what's your experience on, on the change you've seen since uh, yeah, the end of uh, 2000, 2007, the end of uh, that decade in terms of the payment landscape? Yeah, I think, uh, so, so I absolutely echo Claire's comments. And I think what we're seeing uh, now and, and really explosive growth, particularly for e-commerce in, in the last 18 months uh, with the pandemic, it, it feels in some ways a coming of age uh, of, the, of the trends that began uh, over the last 10 to 15 years. And uh, I think one of the biggest relates to the last point Claire mentioned, which is um, shopping across borders. And when I was first involved in e-commerce payments, uh, as I say, around 2007 to 2010, um, this really wasn't on the radar for, for 99% of the market. Um, it was an era when, you know, the, the big e-commerce players in, in the US and UK were companies like eBay um, and other even Western uh, economies were far behind in the development of e-commerce. So I think over that, um, the, the 10 or 15 years since, what you've seen is not only other developed markets catch up, such as in Western Europe or Japan, um, which is the third largest global e-commerce market, uh, but I think one of the, the biggest changes in the last five years has been the rapid progress in uh, developing uh, economies. Um, and uh, as I said, that's been accelerated in the last 18 months. Um, China, I think, was already there, but it's driven even higher levels of, of e-commerce. Uh, but then you can go through all the emerging economies in Asia, in, from, from Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, through to Latam, markets like Brazil, uh, Mexico, you know, these are all massively important marketplaces now that not only domestic businesses are thriving in, but progressive international merchants and sellers are, are moving into. And when you move into those space, to those markets, obviously you have to uh, enable and support the locally preferred payment methods. Um, and I think that is, is an area PIPRO has been focused on for a long time. And one of the changes we've seen is Getting that message across or selling that message has um, not only become easier, but actually it's now our customers pushing us to support more and more use cases. And, and that's been a dramatic shift when I look over the, the time that I've been with PPRO over the last six years. Yeah, super interesting. And I mean, um, Claire and Simon, you both discussed, uh, you know, the changes that have happened over the past uh, 18 months. So can we talk a bit further about, you know, how COVID-19 has changed the global payments industry? Um, Simon, be interesting to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I, th I think the biggest one is, is the change on the consumer, you know, and we're in, um, in, in, in our part of the payments industry, you know, working with, with you know, many other great companies um, like PayPal and City and MasterCard and many others, our, our focus ultimately is enabling a consumer to pay a business and for the business to get paid. Um, so it's, it has to be driven by the, the consumer. And, and the biggest thing uh, in terms of changes in the payments industry uh, over the last 18 months of the pandemic is the change in consumer behavior. Uh, people uh, embraced e-commerce like never before, often because they, they were forced to. And a uh, majority of people that, that paid for a good or for a service for the first time online 
um, of, of maintaining that behavior, even as different countries come out of lockdown. So for me, it's that that's really the starting point is that shift in consumer behavior, uh, which has not only driven demand generally for e-commerce, but it's also changed the makeup in many countries of, of what kind of payment methods uh, have become uh, more more popular and utilized more. Claire, what's your view? Yeah, I was, um, I was reflecting back um, just the other day about um, in my previous role, the majority of the portfolio of customers that, um, that um, we managed and we looked after, they had both bricks and mortar and e-commerce businesses. Um, and um, But I would say in the main, most of them were predominantly the bricks and mortar. Then when COVID actually happened, there was this massive shift, obviously, in all, for them from an organisational perspective to realise that their proposition and servicing that they'd done for the e-commerce part of their business was being put under significant strain. And so what COVID helped was for many of these global organisations is to really have a look at um, and to recalibrate their offering in in the e-commerce front. And, And it helped them to better and focus on what were they? What was their proposition? But most importantly, is how were they um, having to change and adapt and evolve? What because of the payment preferences of many of their consumers that they hadn't really had to, or you know, hadn't got around to uh, to addressing some of that push that was coming um, from the consumer. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the the previous. Um episodes we've had on this podcast have have addressed some of the you know dramatic changes in in the payment landscapes and i mean me me personally living in in germany before covid it was you know a cash dominant society and now you know suddenly we have kind of gotten to where some countries were about 10 years ago and you know more acceptance of simple things like uh payment cards um so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's uh, it's it's definitely changing things um, rapidly, and I mean, I'm interested to hear. So, how have all these changes and you know the 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 catalyst that COVID has had? Um, how is this reflected in Pro's business, um, Claire? Let's 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 start with you. Yeah, I mean, it's um, had um, may I say a positive impact. It's put um, uh, pressure on our customers who ultimately serve our um, the merchant base, who ultimately need to offer solutions for the consumers. So we've seen a demand for you know, more products across multiple markets and across multiple industries. A good one, you've, you've referred to cash. And I think um, a, a good example of that is you know, the majority of us used to go and buy our groceries, our everyday groceries, um, on, um, you know, in a store. And even though certain markets are mature, more mature in terms of being able to purchase your groceries weekly or daily online and get them delivered. But that, as a result of COVID, that has had a fundamental impact on people changing the way they will buy everyday goods and services online. Um, and as a result of that, our partners and, our, and the merchants have had to adapt um, not just their, their delivery service, but also the types of products and um, that they're offering enable to capture the, the share of the you know, demand from the end consumer. We know that a customer will, will abandon the cart and it depends what market you're in, but it can be as much as 40 
to 50% of, of, um, of abandonment if the correct payment method is not offered at point of checkout. So as you start to move into certain markets, we think of them as alternative or local payment methods. A lot of time, these are the preferred payment methods of consumers within a particular market. So if you're not offering them, you're going to lose out on material amounts of uh, of not only revenue, but of obviously also of customers' um, share of spend. Simon, any any thoughts to add? Yeah, I, th- I think um, one of the impacts has just been, you know, we've had to move quickly to, to reflect what's going on in the market. And, you know, th- this year alone, you know, we've added uh, new payment methods like Genius Pay in Indonesia, PIX in, in uh, Brazil, um, uh, Satis Pay in Italy, so that we can ensure our customers can, can meet that, that local consumer preference that Claire has been speaking about. I think the other is, you know, with with um, doubling the the volume of payments that we're processing, you know, we've had to continue to scale our business, um, and uh, it means we, you know, we're in a super fortunate position compared to many industries in that we've we've grown rapidly. Um, but that brings its own challenges, such as uh, staffing up. So we've uh, recruited. Uh, more than 200 people since the beginning of the pandemic, which means the, both the recruitment process as well as the onboarding has had to happen uh, virtually and then, you know, stimulate and knit together the company culture in that environment, uh, which has been challenging, uh, but but the feedback we have is is really strong. And so I'm, I'm very pleased with, with the work that the team has done. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um it's it's definitely clear that there's you know so many opportunities um you know so many new payment methods and you know status pay and some of the picks and um the payment methods you've mentioned we we've also talked about these in in past uh pro payment radio uh episodes i mean um do you expect to see more consolidation of payment methods given the fact you know that there's been such a catalyst and rise and in choice for customers or do you predict that there'll be even you know more coming out to market claire claire um i guess yeah what would you say the future holds in this regards i'm going to say a bit of both actually there will be consolidation there's no doubt about it um, as as there's so many, there's um, I suppose a lot of overlap in many of the products features. So there will be consolidation. We started to see it already. Um, but where there is the need for consumers, where there's an un, um, an unmet customer requirement or customer demand, there will always be um, people innovating and finding product um, new products and, and new ways to address those uh, unmet demands as we speak. So I think we'll continue to see that over the next, yeah, five to 10 years. Um, but in the meantime, we'll also see some consolidation. Simon, do you do you agree? Bit of both? Yeah, I, I think um, over the next five years on balance, we'll continue to see uh, a net increase in the number of payment methods. Um, I think what's, what surprised me is not only new ways to pay coming into the market in different regions around the world, but actually what what traction some of them have gained in a short space of time. Um, At the same time, there's consolidation. I think a great example of that is buy now, pay later. So, you know, we've we've seen go from uh, just even three years ago, really only uh, a handful of of active firms of any significance to now more than 30. 
and yet we've seen with you know Square buying um, uh, Afterpay, uh, and just this week PayPal announcing they're buying Payday in Japan. You know, you're seeing consolidation. But I think the net the net picture over the next five years will will still be an increase because there's so much innovation happening. Um, but then, exactly as Claire says, more in the 10-year time frame plus, uh, starting to see uh, a net reduction in the number of payment methods. Um, but but really, I think it will take 20 years plus before the picture is very different. Um, because not only buy now, pay later, you have other trends like open banking, which are generating many new ways to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, you know, then... There's huge investment going into in-car payment systems, so ordering and paying from your car. So the the, the amount of, of innovation and change that will come, uh, I think, means it's it's going to be more like 20 years before you know you're you're down to a much simpler model in any market, right? Um, so very mature uh, markets can evolve differently. Um, you know, if you think of your mobile phone, right, it's going to either be Apple or an Android-based operating system. Payment is is a very is, is is actually becoming more and more fragmented when you look at the global picture. What often surprises me actually is is how exciting um, because of all this development and these trends and this innovation. Um, you know, led by, you know, technology being more accessible and social media helping to educate consumers, the rise of the middle classes. But um, it really is in the payment space. You always think, oh, that was an exciting five years previously, or that was exciting, you know, previous 10 years. What more can we develop? What more can be um, brought to the table? There is a lot that's still going on, which makes it um, challenging um, for many organisations to keep up with those evolving customer demands and, and needs, um, but it also brings in um, better consumer uh, solutions as well. And I think that's where, if I may add, you know, where, where we can, where we do really help a lot of our partners is, um, and I've been in, you know, so I know Simon, you have as well, been on the other side where you're sitting at the end of the of a financial year or beginning of a financial year, being trying to allocate out all your capex and resources to all the key initiatives and they're never usually enough to go around to do all the things that you need to do to keep up with the way that the market is evolving in order to expand globally Um, and so what we do is we help all of our partners and in in turn the partners help the merchants be able to globalize um, with local payment solutions really easily and cost effectively. And I mean, I guess with, um, you know, with this increase in the use of local payment methods, what does this mean for payment companies? Simon, I'll open this up to you. I think the way I would think about it is this, right, is that most payment companies are serving what, what in payments we call the merchant, right? So it's an organization that needs to accept payments. And their, their demands have, have increased dramatically in, in many ways. So enabling omni-channel interaction with their customer they want slicker and slicker gateways. They may have marketplace, which adds complexity to their requirements. Uh, they want help uh, maybe with cash advances, with fraud. And uh, on top of that, they are now internationalizing like never before. And, and that's part of your question, which is that they want access to a growing number of local payment methods. Why? Simply because if they provide payment choice in a given market, they know that will drive revenue. So what, what does that mean for payments companies is they have to decide where to prioritize their resource. 
And is it on things what, what we regard as back-end infrastructure integrating with lots of different payment methods? Or is it on front-end differentiation in the merchant interface and the consumer interface uh, that will help them win uh, and retain merchant customers? So uh, there, there are maybe two, three payments companies in the world that have enough resources really to cover both. So PPRO is, is absolutely focused on building local payments infrastructure uh, that um, payments companies can plug into so they don't need to be weighed down by the ongoing burden of managing many different payment methods. So what will the impact be? We think that there's a huge shift going to go on over the next five years, a bit like we've seen in other industries such as cloud computing, where people go from trying to manage infrastructure in-house to taking advantage of, of best-in-class uh, external infrastructure providers. And, and Claire, do you have, would you would you agree? Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, I touched on it just before um, what I referred to about why um, why PPRO is at the you know front of a lot of conversations that are happening. Why our partners rely on us is to help them, you know, be able to expand into these multiple markets, offering the really relevant payment methods. And, and as we spoke about earlier about the trends, the number of payment methods that are that come on to the uh, come on and become relevant in any particular region and um, the innovation and there's you know more coming on coming out around and available, keeping up with that and knowing which ones to actually um, you know implement where you can rely on PPRO to be able to help you decide which ones are relevant in which markets and to also navigate the complexities because you know no two markets are the same when it comes to regulatory and compliance or tax pieces so being able to work with a partner like prepro enables you know our partners to be able to make sure that they've they're working with somebody who's got a depth of expertise and knowledge um, and and we're an extension of their organization and it goes back to then if you can outsource and work with a reliable partner on that side of things then you can invest the, the hard dollars and the intellectual capacity to really think about differentiating your offer at the front end. Sorry about that. I, I didn't take myself off mute. Um, yeah, Claire, I mean, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I mean, we've touched upon quite a lot of the, the opportunities and, um, you know, how the market is becoming, you know, more more advanced, specifically in the developing countries and, and some of the uh, consolidation within the payment space. Um, but I want to touch upon what some of the primary concerns for the payment businesses right now may be. Um, Claire, from your perspective, what are the kind of urgent challenges the payment um, businesses are, are facing? Mm -hmm. um, the pressure from a regulatory and compliance perspective. Um, you know, we know that um, th this is becoming, it's, it has been for a number of years, been a key uh, topic um, for many uh, markets and many regions. It will continue to be. You know, so that's everything around, you know, not just the compliance, but um, anti-money laundering, KYC requirements, visibility of funds flow. Um, that 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 is a big topic. And um, there is also the emergence of the products and technology. We talked about the buy now, pay later. It's it's a knowing which ones to bet on that are going to be um, successful, but also making sure that you're you've got a holistic solution. Um, and I I always think that um, no doubt about it is. The, the rapid evolving demands of consumers. 
Um, the consumers drive in many ways with technology, actually, um, the behavior of what, what payment methods are going to be picked up and used. Um, and, um, you know, we've had such a, a turbulent but positive turbulent time for many e-commerce um, providers with um, COVID. What's going to happen now as we start to becoming somewhat in, uh, into the new normal you know, when's that going to happen? How's that going to happen? And what are the, how are we going to need to address that from a, a payments perspective, both online and offline? Yeah, and, and then Simon, how, what, what, would you, what would you contribute? What, is there anything, any other major challenges um, that we can expect? No, I, th- I think uh, it's, it's really, as, as Claire says, you know, su- supporting, uh, being agile, uh, supporting the demand and uh and 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 being ready for change you know uh that's that, that's really it okay yeah and i mean i guess if we were to think about the number one priority for payments businesses in in 2022 um yeah what would this be would this be kind of you know maintaining agility or yeah i guess uh what should the businesses be focusing on for next year well, one thing is there there will be a, a, a rebound, which will start, I think, in many markets over the coming months. But there will be a rebound um, in point of sale uh, payment processing, right? As economies open back up uh, in in person, in store, in hotels, restaurants, and I think the 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 thing though is what what happens when people come back into a more balanced way of living. Um, but in, with some of the new payment behaviors they have. And, and I think one will be the, the growth in many markets of either mobile wallets or, or people using their uh, online banking, uh, mobile banking applications effectively as a wallet. Yeah. So, And I think there will, there will be a lot of uh, activity by different businesses, not only payments, uh, but also retailers, banks and others to, to take advantage of that. So... I think um, anticipating some change in beha- uh, consumer behavior uh, is one. Um, uh, I think the other is, you know, something we haven't spoken about is there's there's also been quite a lot of regulatory change. Um, there's there's been a, a con- continuous effort over the last couple of years to strengthen uh, anti-money laundering measures, anti-terrorist financing measures, and um, you might have experienced even as a consumer now you're, you're you've got more more transactions where you're asked to receive a code on your mobile for example so additional uh, points of authentication so I think this is generally um, um, mitigating uh, fraud crime and the impact that has on the payment flow and the consumer experience uh, will, will be a second trend and I think the third one is you know, if you haven't already, you have to anticipate uh, consumers acting more and more on a border-free basis, which Claire mentioned earlier. So uh, consumers want access to great goods and services. They value convenience above all else, and they don't really mind where it's coming from. So how do you, how do you prepare yourself for that? And that's a trend which will accelerate in 2022. Claire, anything to add? No, wouldn't it? That, that preparing themselves is, you know, it's about them being able to have that flexible solutions um, to address the opportunities and the uncertainty. Okay. 
think those are yeah some incredible insights for what the payment what payments with the industry what the businesses should be prepared for and and looking out for and key points to consider around you know the the regulation and um, you know what happens when we get back to this new normal so I think so many yeah again interesting insights and, and reflections upon the payments industry um, so we've certainly touched upon you know the, the past um, what's changed the the present with the impact from COVID-19 and in the future of you know planning for for the new normal and um, you know the abundance of, of payment methods that um, merchants now have to account for and, and consumers can now be using so Simon and Claire thank you so much um, for taking the time to, to speak with us about this um, anything else you want want to add uh, before we sign off just to say thank you it's been a pleasure yeah it was an absolute pleasure thanks so much Claire thanks Megan okay so that wraps up this episode of um, payments radio from PPRO and stay tuned for our next episode mm-hmm.